Live from South Florida, the Brian Mudd Show starts right now. Now, now. News Radio 610 WIOD. It's comprehensive. It's got, we have to take a multifaceted approach, right? We've got to have testing. People have to be wearing masks indoors in crowded places. Obviously, people really should be getting boosted. Those are all the tools that we have developed over the last 20 months, and we need to deploy them all right now. 20 months, you hear that. You start thinking about things. You know, really, the pandemic overseas going on two years ago now. Nuts, isn't it? I mean, we've been in this cycle for so long. And here in Florida, I mean, it it feels that much different because we have not been restricted the way that so many people in other states have been. But nevertheless, I mean, even some of the services, though, we know change. In fact, there are still communities where if you want to, you know, engage with your local city, you might have to do so virtually, right? I mean, there are things like that which used to happen to person, even here in South Florida, that occasionally are still in the virtual environment. There was one report recently um, that was produced that I, I thought was really instructive because it's something most of us wouldn't think of. But you think about the the legal system, you think about the equitable impact of Pew Charitable Trusts. They've taken a look at this and have some real compelling information. And uh, joining us to talk about this, Katsia Naki, who is an officer with the Civil Legal System Modernization Team with Pew joining us now. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. Yeah, so, I mean, this is really interesting. Tell us what you found in this virtual legal environment. Uh, yeah, and your, your introduction was great. So, as many people are familiar, the, the pandemic was a time of real economic stress for people. In 2020 alone, a million people around the U.S. were evicted from their homes, and 9.6 million people lost their jobs. But what people don't really know is that a lot of these issues that were so critical played out in our state civil courts, which at the same time, we found in our research, there was an explosion in the use of technology in civil courts. Almost overnight, all 50 states and D.C. started using virtual hearings, for example, when almost none of these states and jurisdictions had done so in the past. Um, And we found that this did result in some increases in participation in the system that weren't there before. But we also noticed that the, the technology really disproportionately benefited people who were represented versus people without lawyers, which in civil cases, there's no right to a government-funded attorney as there are in criminal cases. And we also found that people faced new barriers that hadn't existed before as a result of technology, including for people with limited English proficiency, people with disabilities, and people with limited access to reliable broadband. Yeah, Kasia, you bring up such a good point here, and part of what immediately came to mind when taking a look at your work, we all know about the COVID slide. We all know that there was a real struggle within the education uh, realm when they had to flip the switch to go to you know the remote learning. And the net result of it was ramp up time to try to learn how to use systems, both of the educators in addition to students and parents, On top of it, you simply had a learning loss that was taking place because it wasn't often as efficient, and some people just didn't learn as well or teach as well in that environment. So, in in essence, you know, those same types of real-world problems had similar but different implications within the legal system, it sounds. That's right, and and something that people are less familiar with also is that more than half of the states have what, what are called decentralized court systems. So that means that 
administration and budgeting for courts is often happened um, happening at a local or county level. So as the courts had to really rethink their operations and ramp up technologies, this was all sort of happening um, in different ways in different places with different results. Um, so uh, some examples I like to give are that um, with electronic filing, uh, there were 37 states and D.C. that prior to the pandemic offered an option for people to electronically file paperwork um, prior to the pandemic, people without lawyers. And in the span of time of the pandemic, 10 more states adopted that technology, but it wasn't always available to people. Our research, for example, found that in eight states, people without lawyers couldn't file their paperwork electronically in debt collection lawsuits, for example, while at the same time, a reporting from ProPublica from 2020 found that debt collectors were filing thousands of lawsuits in bulk, reaping the benefit of electronic filing because they are represented by lawyers. Specific to our state, was there anything that jumped out at you about Florida in particular? Yeah, so Florida is a, is a great example. Um, so Florida had adopted electronic filing, for instance, for people without lawyers uh, back in 2014. And so in the cases we looked at, the so debt collection lawsuits and eviction, um, people in Florida were able to, to file paperwork with courts electronically, even if they weren't represented by a lawyer. Um, Miami in particular um, is, is a real example of innovation and, and sort of embodying some of the recommendations we make in our report. So um, around the same time um, of our research, um, the Miami courts were implementing an online dispute resolution platform for um, compliance traffic tickets. So traffic tickets related to things like driving without a license or um, not having your insurance in your car when you were stopped. Um, and so this online dispute resolution platform really revolutionized um, how the court was, was doing its work um, because it allowed people to, to file that proof and evidence online from their homes. Um, and so, um, you know, in Miami, this, this was so successful that the Miami courts are adopting this technology permanently. And they've also been working with an evaluator um, to um, get feedback from, from the people who use this platform about their experience and to make further improvements, um, which is, you know, a huge part of our recommendations for courts to collect and analyze data so that they can make an evidence-based and informed decisions about how to improve these technologies and wow. also making process improvements. That's encouraging that, I mean, at least uh, we're, we're ahead of the, the curve seemingly that way. I imagine you would like to see advocacy based upon your research here. What is it that ultimately you're proposing happens at, at this point? We'd like courts to do three things. The first is to reimagine. So rather than digitizing their problems and layering technology on top of already challenging processes, um, improve those processes and transform them to make them more open, efficient, and equitable for people. Um, and then test these technologies that they implement with litigants to make sure that they incorporate feedback about how to best use those technologies. And then, as I mentioned earlier, evaluate. So use data, use evidence to make further improvements and, and make sure the technology is working well and achieving its goals. This is, uh, it, this is terrific, uh, the, the information, the findings. For people who are curious, want more info, where's a good place to go? Uh, if you want to read a copy of our report, it's available at pewtrust.org. Trueputrust.org. Got it. Well, thank you so much for the information, the time. That was terrific. Thank you so much, Brian, for having me. Absolutely. Kinsia Naki, the 
an officer with the Civil Legal System Modernization Team at Pew.